Well, I've heard it said, uh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you heard this saying before? Uh, the thought that maybe your heads are so much in the clouds that you're not present in the moment, that you're not here with people, um, and uh, that you're, you're in a different headspace altogether. And yet, as I have looked through these verses this week, I kind of am leaning a little bit more to uh, the thought that maybe we're no earthly good because we're not heavenly minded enough. You know, that we don't have proper perspective while we're here on the earth, that this is not our home, that this is just a temporary place, that we are aliens and strangers, and I love the word sojourners or journeyers in this land, actually destined and citizens of a whole nother place. And maybe if we were more heavenly minded, we'd be a little bit more of an earthly good. Jonathan Edwards, uh, in the late mid-1700s, a part of uh, the Great Awakening as the gospel was spreading through Britain, through the colonies, and uh, he said this about believers as he looked at their lives and, and that they were meditating on heaven. He observed this, he said, uh, they experienced unspeakable delight and bodily strength, uh, overborne at the thoughts of heaven as a world of love. Where love shall be the saints' eternal food, and they shall dwell in the light of love and swim in an ocean of love, and where the very air and breath will be nothing but love. And this is what he found as believers uh, were spending time meditating on and thinking about heaven, that they were strengthened and filled in order to do the work that had been given to them while they were here on earth. And so I wonder if we were more heavenly minded, if we wouldn't be of more earthly good. And so this morning, as we look at Romans, we're going to take a little bit different approach at it. I think the content of what Paul is talking about is really quite simple, but we want to look at some of the reasons behind why uh, he is going to ask us to do what he's going to ask of us. And in order to do that, I want to spend some time thinking about heaven. And so let's take a watch of this. Beautiful plates, rainbow colored with glitter. The colors you've never seen before, purple and pink and red and white. Pinky purple. Maybe I'm thinking that heaven might look like a cloud. Clouds. Goldenish yellow clouds. It doesn't, it doesn't have glass. <laughs> because it's going to make the marshmallows. <laughs> That's funny. It's a house where you die in a big giant house. Yeah, he's going to make a big room for you and me. Bigger than like the whole world. And he's going to make a giant school for you. Like, like the more people that move into heaven, the, the bigger God makes it. 
and so the kids have more room to play. That's going to be awesome. My grandma and grandpa will be in heaven. My dad, he's getting super old. I think my dad's going to be the first one that's going to die. <gasps> Mary, I think that's the only girl. I think I'm never gonna die. I think I'm just gonna be all by myself. These animals. I got to play with Jesus. Ooh, dogs. Woof, woof. Elephant. There's gonna be a baseball team in heaven. White Sox, I think, will be in heaven. We could let like the people who play the Cubs go to heaven. All Southsiders go to heaven. Jesus. And I was planning on giving him a high five or something. I I'll miss when he does download some slow parts, because he's fast. There's going to be like stuff in heaven. The stuff that's in the world. Even in Texas, even in California. I would have a zip line. Because then I can like get like a paper towel and then jump on it and then it would hold on and then I can like swing down it. I will wear sparkly stuff in heaven. A pretty dress. TVs! I think there's gonna be every food on earth in heaven. Bread and not cereal. Blood and juice and fruit, like watermelon, maybe some strawberries, french fries. There's not McDonald's in heaven. We won't even think about getting hungry. You don't have to go to the grocery store at all. Just heaven and heaven at all. They'll never get cold or sick or hungry or anything. We'll just be happy. I'm not going to fall down in heaven. Anyway, got it, Allie. I walked all over my foot. It'll be okay. In heaven! And I really miss God. That's the last thing I can tell you about heaven. Well, maybe they have a, a view of heaven. I know when I was like seven or eight, I uh, grew up in Cincinnati. To me, heaven was a place called Kings Island uh, Amusement Park. And, and I thought that uh, the vortex, uh, instead of six uh, inverted loops, would have 12 because it's got to be twice as good as everything here. And as I've grown older, I think of different things when I think of heaven. Not so much of fun, but of the things that I long for in, in a place that we don't have here. I find that some artists, especially musicians, uh, have uh, a better beat on this than I have. And so I was thinking of some songs that have really made an impact on me. And I want to read some of the lyrics to, to how they view heaven and what they have to say about it. If you know uh, the song or the person, uh, just shout it out. Uh, one of them is, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you? Or in awe of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? What is it? Mercy me. I can only imagine. Started with an easy one for you. Uh, what powerful lyrics is Bart wrote this after the passing of his own father and trying to think of what that was going to look like and be like. 
Um, it says, I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Uh, these lyrics that, that maybe paint a better picture for us. Another song. There'll be only happy tears and I'll shed the sins and struggles that I've carried all these years. I'll leave my heart wide open and I will love and have no fear when I get where I'm gro- going. Don't cry for me down here. Anybody know that one? No, the back in the back. Dolly Parton, I believe, wrote that, When I Get Where I'm Going. Um, More of her lyrics are, When I get there, I'm going to uh, where I'm going, and I see my maker's face, I'll stand forever in the light of his amazing grace. Ooh, it's good stuff. This thought of what eternity can look like and be like. Um, Another one, uh, there will be a place with no more suffering, there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, no more fears, a day when the burdens of this place will be no more, and we'll see Jesus face to face, as Jeremy Camps, there will be a day. Then there's one last one uh, that I'm not going to read for you, it's going to be up on the screen, because I'm pretty sure I will definitely not get through that one. Um, but just the thought of, of that I've been waiting I've been waiting, as God saying, I've been waiting for you to dance in fields full of color that you've never seen. Things that we can't wrap our heads around. This hope for a future that we have is kind of a picture that I think of as we, I was reading through Romans, and I, I want to tell you a little bit more of, of why. Um, that last one was Todd Agnew and Martyr's song. So I think about these thoughts of heaven, and are we ready? I mean, a lot. yeah, I'm ready. Like I see, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's go. We're going to do this this afternoon. Um, yeah, uh, every, what's the saying? Everybody uh, wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Uh, this, uh, but we're ready to go, but I wonder, are we preparing ourselves? Are we practicing? You see, to spend time thinking about heaven is to regularly put in perspective the hardships of this world which are many, which are difficult, which seem to be unending, but at the same time are temporal. When we spend time thinking about heaven is to spend time considering what eternity will be like and look like, and that helps us deal with the things that we face day in and day out. My other question to you is, are you practicing Are you practicing what it's going to be like in heaven? Let's take a look at Revelation. We're going to start at the end. We're going to jump back to Genesis and then land back into Romans here in a few minutes. But let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. This is a verse that our elders were reading this week that I've been thinking about over the last number of weeks. And uh, what it says, starting in verse 9, is this. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude... That no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might 
be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This picture uh, that is painted for us here is, is one of many nations, many tribes, many uh, languages, many colors, it says, are all gathered together as one. So when I ask, are you practicing, my thought is, are you unified? Do you feel unity with the believers? And then the second thing that they're doing is that they're all worshiping. And they say blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. You see, what we get to do here on Sunday mornings is just about heaven practice. You know, we, we don't see each other. We're not necessarily hanging out with each other throughout the week. Maybe we're in different places. We live in different parts of town or maybe even out of town. But together on Sunday mornings, we're united but even more so than that, we're united with other believers across town. It's not just about the people sitting in this building, in this room, but across our community, across our nation, united together, worshiping, ascribing to God and understanding better who he is. Not for his benefit, but for our benefit. I love the thought of magnify the name of the Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to step down and get my water. When I think of magnify, we get a magnifying glass so that we can see it better. It doesn't make it any larger. It just makes it so that we can have a better understanding of it. To magnify the name of the Lord is not about changing who he is, but about us getting a better perspective and a better look at who he is so that we can endure the hardships of this earth. <clears throat> These words, I think, should stir our hearts, stir our hearts towards worship, stir our hearts towards unity, stir our hearts towards even evangelism as it talks about this, uh, this, this scene of different tribes and nations and languages and colors, that none of that matters, all united together, worshiping God. And it says that they were a great multitude that could not be numbered. And I love this connection. If you jump all the way back into Genesis, in the first covenant, the agreement that God made with Abram and with Sarai in chapter 16, and then again he repeats this covenant with Jacob in chapter 32, and these are the words that are used the same in both places. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered and a connection and the fulfillment of those words in Genesis we see here in Revelation. I often think of those Genesis words as just about children, just about being kids, that there's gonna be a lot of you. But really what it's talking about, it is talking about that, that they will outnumber the sands on the seashore, the stars in the sky. You won't be able to count them, but it's talking about children of the covenant, those that will benefit because of the covenant that God was making with his people the Israelites, and we see that here fulfilled in Revelation. And Romans is saying much of the same thing. Let's jump there. Romans chapter 15, and Mike Clary led us through some of these verses last week. <clears throat> he was focused earlier in the chapter as he was uh, addressing how the Christians should be interacting with one another, that we shouldn't be thinking too highly of ourselves that sometimes our actions 
might need to be to benefit another brother or sister in Christ. And he continues along that same vein here. Chapter 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, and Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in, whom, who, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so he talks again, reminding them of what he's covered earlier in this letter. And he says that he came to be a servant to the Israelites, to the children of the promise, to those that he made a covenant with long ago. And the prophets speak to this. He says over and over again, he talked about what this would look like and Jesus has fulfilled these things. But then he flips it to be about the Gentiles. What does he say? Verse nine. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. See, the Gentiles were outside of the covenant. They weren't, uh, had, they, God didn't make an agreement with them that he would come through. And yet his promises were always intended for them. And his mercy overflowed to include them also. And for this, we should be very thankful because we, for the most part, fall under that category. We're not Israelites, children of the promises, and yet God's mercy includes us and brings us in. And as we see so clearly here, but it wasn't clear to them thousands of years ago that that was always God's plan. And then he references the Old Testament. And he actually uses four different verses here. One of them is from the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, another one uh, is from, two of them are from the writings, and uh, the third is from history, and he's including all three of these components to speak to God's plan, that the three uh, major portions of the Old Testament that they would have recognized, he said each and every one of them talk about this and address this, and he goes through them. And all this points back to verse 5, chapter 15, verse 5, where he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify. Uh, oh, man, I lost it. With one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ says that you may together with one voice, children of the covenant and in the Gentiles who have been included in this, that you would come together as one to glorify God. Now, we don't totally understand this, uh, this, this disconnect between the Israelites and the Gentiles. That's not a world that we so much live in now, but there was just things that they had to get over. And sometimes the Israelites would get a big head about themselves, thinking that we were the chosen ones for getting the part that they were always blessed for the purpose of being a blessing to others. Sometimes the Gentiles felt like outsiders, 
like they didn't belong, that, that they were kind of stepchildren and not fully adopted part of the family. And so there would be disconnects in these two worlds. And as I think about this letter to the Roman church and what that would have looked like, it was sent by Paul, not to a large gathering of people of thousands or hundreds, uh, but probably more like of dozens as different scatterings of Christians were meeting in homes and small meeting places. And my guess that he's writing into is often those congregations would look like a group of, of saved Israelites and then a group of, of saved Gentiles and in another house a group of saved Greeks and they would gather in, in different places and they would be divided and he's speaking to that. Instead of a house uh, full of Israelites and a house full of Greeks and a house full of Pentecostals and a house full of Baptists and a house full of Lutherans, right? Are you hearing it? That Christians would be united at their heart that we're all the same, that it doesn't matter uh, as we gather on Sunday morning what building we're in. You know, I, I've talked about this before, but sometimes we have gotten in a little bit of trouble uh, about people that have moved to another church. Now, sometimes people move towns and they go to a different church, uh, but sometimes they decide to go to a church down the road and we have often been like, okay, they're going to a, a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, yes? And we're like, okay, and people are like, what do you mean okay? What do, we, don't, do we need to go after them? And I'm like, well, I mean, I like them. I, I'll, I'll miss them. I, I, I would not rather they go, but at the same time, are they somewhere where they're teaching the word? Are they somewhere that they're worshiping together? And if they are, then okay. Now, not that we don't love them, and again, not that we won't miss them. We don't want people to go at the same time. We're all one body. And I think about this also, you know, we want to hear from people. You know, tell us why. Tell us what's going on. Maybe there's things that we can learn. Maybe there's areas in which we can grow in, and every time we'd love to sit down and have a conversation and learn what we can. But guess what? They're still Christians, Guess what? They may spend a couple of years gathering somewhere else on a Sunday morning, but we're still going to spend eternity together. So what does it matter all that much? Maybe they just needed a different flavor to experience, and maybe that just moved up a couple of seats for you to invite your neighbors and for you to invite your coworkers and for you to have space. God was clearing for somebody to sit next to you next week because we're all united in this. Paul continues, chapter 15, verse 14, and he says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now here's what's happening. Paul's starting to wrap up this letter. Okay, he's beginning to bring it to a close, and so he wants to encourage them, listen, you guys are doing a good job. You're doing a good job. You're encouraging one another. You have knowledge. You have everything that you need to be successful. And so I want to encourage you in that. And he's had some pretty harsh things to say to them throughout this letter, and so he's kind of setting up, bringing some personal touch to the close of this letter, because Paul didn't necessarily have the resume uh, in some senses of who may want to write a letter to the church in Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome. In fact, he's never even visited it before. 
He's talked about that. I have longed to come to you. I have tried to come to be in your presence. And so those may come across one way and he says, hey, you guys are doing a good job. You're doing well. But then he continues. But on some points I have written to you very boldly. But let it be by way of a reminder Because of the grace given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's saying, not anything I've done, but God's work in me and around me. So that from Jerusalem all the way to Ilicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And I thus make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for so many years to come to you, and he continues, we'll dig into that next week. But Paul is saying here, you guys are doing a good job, and I want to just say the same thing. You're doing well, but be reminded. Be reminded of these things that we need to be unified that we need to be together in worship, be reminded of these things that I love Paul, he closes with. And and I'm proud that I've completed the task that God gave me. He sent me to the Gentiles. He sent me to preach the gospel for the first time. And he says, I'm done. There's now not an area that hasn't heard the good news of Jesus. And I'm proud that God has enabled me through his spirit to fulfill the ministry that he gave me. And now, now I hope to come to you because I want to meet you. Now that that has been completed, I want to spend some time with you. I think of John chapter 17. Let's turn there together. In John 17, we see something similar happening. Jesus is wrapping up his time on earth. His last hours are being spent with his disciples, teaching them last things, reminding them of things he's already shared with them for the most part. And as as Jesus is talking here in verse four, I know it's gonna say something else up there, but we're gonna read verse four real quick. Jesus says this. It says, I glorified you on earth. He's praying to his father having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, I've completed the work that you had for me. You sent me to a people, and you sent people to me, and I've been faithful in the work that you have had. Now let me, in my last moments here on earth, glorify you. He's talking about heaven. 
He's talking about what it's like in the presence of God. Let it be again the way that it was before the beginning of time. And he continues in this prayer, chapter 17, to pray for the disciples that he'd spent this time with. Praying not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be able to endure while they're still in the world. And then in verse 20, he switches a little bit and he says this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. These... Amen. These are the people that would believe because of their work, which includes you and I. So this is Jesus' prayer for us, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that also uh, they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, they have been, uh, they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And he's praying, God, let them be together. Let them be unified on earth because one day that's how it's going to be in heaven. And why should we be united? So that the world may know that God sent his son for them. So that the world would know. When the world looks at us and we are infighting and we're bickering and we can't get along with one another, they don't want to have anything to do with us and you can't really blame them, can you? And so, so much more so we need to be united and together. And if you have something against a brother or a sister, go to them. And as much as it is in your power, try to make that right. Let's get over our own pride and the things that we think that we deserve and go and be united. I want to jump back to Romans real quick. I kind of read it but didn't talk about it much. Verse 13. In verse 13, he says this. Says, may the hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Says, may you be filled, may you be filled up from the bottom to the top, so that you have everything that you need, and the God of hope will bring you this, will bring you and fill you with joy and with peace. When I was young and I thought about heaven, it was about fun and it was about the experience. But now I think about the things that I long so for here on this earth when things are hard and life is unrelenting and you're in a situation that you don't think you have hope for, that you can't fix, that you can't change. It says, may the God of hope fill you with peace so that you're filled. And then he goes on though. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That you may overflow with hope. That you may leak it out 
everywhere you go, that you would ooze it as a puddle behind you in every person that you meet and every interaction that you have, that the power of the Holy Spirit would overflow, not because of your power, not because of how, how well-spoken you are, not because of anything that you've done right, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. I'm proud of fulfilling this ministry because God did it through me. That's what Jesus is saying. Because, Father, you were in me, I've been able to fulfill this mission that you gave me to do here. And I'm wrapping it up now. And for us, he's given us places that he's put us very specifically. And you may wonder why you're at the workplace you're in or the neighborhood that you're in and your neighbor drives you insane because God has put you there. The person in the next office who doesn't always show up on time, who doesn't always pull their weight. He's there for you to just abound in hope and enjoy to be a beacon of God's power. God has put you in places and has a purpose for your life that he wants to fulfill through you. Let's go back to John. In these same hours that Jesus is wrapping up, he's encouraging his disciples and saying, what you're about to go through it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever faced. John chapter 14, verse 1, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Says it's difficult. You haven't even seen your most difficult days yet. It's about to get harder. But don't be troubled. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back for you. And in this world that's so harsh, that doesn't let up on us, don't be troubled. Be encouraged that he is going to prepare a place for you. This week, I, I, my challenge to you is to spend time daily thinking or reading or praying about heaven, putting into perspective the hardships of your life and the things that you will be asked to sacrifice in light of eternity and what he has planned for you. And I'm going to put something on Realm, which is our online community. And so uh, every day, a song or a poem or a reading, uh, just to encourage you in that. And there are things that have made a difference in my life. And so if you're not on Realm, just write your email address and check the box on your program so that you can get that this week. And so we're going to put that there. And we just challenge you every day to be spending some time thinking about this. And we're going to take communion now. The band is going to come up. And, and I want us to think about in these same moments that Jesus is sharing these words with his disciples in these last hours of his life. And he's encouraging them, saying, don't be troubled. You know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He also says this. He, he, he takes a, a, a bread, a loaf of bread, and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which will be broken for you. They still didn't totally understand what that meant, but they would in just a few hours. And then he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant. God's fulfilled the old covenant. It's done. It has been completed in me, but this is a new covenant in my blood. And then he says this, 
I will not drink again from this cup until I am united with you in heaven. The promise that he made. He's always been faithful to his promises. If I've gone to prepare a place for you, won't I come back for you? When we're in a relationship with Jesus, we're children of the promise because of his great mercy. This time of communion, I just want you to spend thinking about heaven, thinking about these promises that he's always come through on. And I want you to, to worship united. Again, this is heaven practice. One voice together, lifting up praises to God, and it'll be joined by the other voices in our community and around the world as one church united to give worship and glory to the Father. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for doing the work that it took to overcome our brokenness, uh, to mend the relationship that, that we severed because of our disobedience. God, I thank you for all the promises in your word. Lord, I thank you for, for people who have had uh, just thoughts and visions of heaven. Allow them to be an inspiration to us. God, hope in the day. God, maybe just as manna, just enough to get us through one more afternoon of the hard circumstances that we're in. God, allow us just to be available to you. God, that you would use us in the places that you put us. God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives, that your hope would outflow from us. God, not anything that we can muster on our own, but your goodness at work in our lives. We thank you for a future, but more so that you don't just give us a future, God, but you're here and present with us today. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.